I'm so glad to get an opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, my name is Sims, for those who don't know me. I am um, one of the pastors here at Broadway, and um, I'm glad that we get an opportunity to share God's Word together. Um, we've been going through a curriculum in our church um, in small groups. It's called Following Jesus Together. I've got some slides of that that I would like to just share with you for a moment on as a way of introduction of what we're doing and a follow-up from where Pastor Ryan left. We have got four characteristics that we have identified as grounding characteristics of Broadway, things that we know Broadway does well in and things we can as well, even though we do well, we can still grow in and encourage one another in. Um, and so these are steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. We are called downtown Fort Wayne to to show that, and we've shown that over the years with our steadfast worship, how we worship, how we respond in worship, a healing community, a place where people come hurt and they walk away with a healing sense. We've been a very good healing community, an uncommon unity uh, where people would say, Ryan used to say that people, would, people should get to a point where they say, how do these people keep it together with so much diversity in them, with so many people from different walks of life? And then a faithful witness, being a witness of Jesus. And we do that in so many ways. If you think about uh, being involved in uh, Revive Indiana, being involved in all those things that we do, it's a way of showing our, state, our faithful witness to Jesus and who he is. And in our church, we lift Jesus up, and then he draws many to himself. So I want to encourage you that as we go through this, these are the four traits or characteristics of Broadway that we have seen. But this, this past few weeks, we've been focusing on the first one, which is steadfast worship. And we describe it that, this way, that we serve a faithful God who never fails us. I can I hear an amen from that? And his steadfast love draws us to steadfast worship. Our worship is, comes from being drawn by his steadfast love that never changes for us. Whether we find ourselves in the pigsty um, you know, of our sin, or we find ourselves in the palace where it's clean and everything, his steadfast love follows us and pursues us. His love runs after us and it's faithful to us, and that calls us to be faithful in bringing back that worship to him. And so there are two ways that we've identified that we as Broadway would like to remain steadfast in worship in. Ryan said last week that um, we do um, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day. How many of you remember that from Kids Church? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. So we, we we want to be a church that responds to God's word. We want to be a church that responds to reading our Bible, to spending time in God's word. Um, we were challenged last week to spend more time in God's word and kill something in our lives and spend that time in, um, in the word of God. But also we are challenged to pray with expectation. When we pray with expectation, we know who we are praying to. We have an expectation because we know he is faithful. And when we understand his faithfulness, when we pray, we do not weaver. We do not think about, oh, is it going to happen? Is it not? We know that we have asked him. And if we ask him according to his will, he will do what we've asked him to do. 
And that faithfulness in that is part of what we do as we pray with expectation. So today, we are going to move on from responding to God's word to praying with expectation. And in praying with expectation, I want us to take time to look at the Lord's prayer together. I want us to take time to look at the Lord's prayer because it's one of the things that we're going to be doing in our small groups after this. Uh, we're going to be taking time. This is the practice that we're going to be doing for the next for the next few weeks, taking the time to pray the Lord's prayer every day. And it's easy to just pray it off, otherwise I don't have an allowed with thy name, that kingdom come. It's easy, it's easy. But the problem is we need to be understanding what are we saying. That prayer is one of the most powerful prayers in Scripture. I know there is prayers, the prayer of Paul to, um, for the, um, um, from the, for the Colossians, the prayer of Paul uh, for the Ephesians. We find all these prayers, the prayer of Jesus, his last prayer for his disciples and us. But this is one of the most powerful prayers that I find because it covers the rest of all that we do and all that we are called to do. And today we're going to look at line by line and try and see where is God calling us as Broadway to be a church that is steadfast in worship and keeping up with praying with expectation. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've got, I've got a reader who's going to come and read for me. Um, get the mic out of here so Sawyer can read for us. Do you need a stand? Thank you. So he's going to read for us. If we can stand and we're going to follow him on the screens. Um, he's got it on the New King James Version. And he's going to read God's word for us. And we will move on from there. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door... Pray to your Father who is, in secret, who is in a secret place. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have of need before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And, as, and she, as a sister, called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she had approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but the one thing is needed that Mary has chosen, that good part, which is what which will not be taken away from her. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, 
when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true and never changes. And I pray that you speak through your word to both the speaker and the hearer alike, that we would hear what you want us to hear today. We give you praise and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sawyer. Amazing. You may be seated. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be, and I always try, and my wife says I should stop talking about it, but maybe, maybe if I try and keep talking about it, I'll end up being able to try to be like Elizabeth Taylor and say, I won't keep you long. That's what she said to all her husbands. I won't keep you long. Very quickly, you'll be gone. So the same thing, I'll try and not keep you long. All right. I will try. I will try. My wife said to me, stop talking about time because you never do well even if you talk about it. But, well, maybe I'm walking in faith. You never know. <laughs> All right, so today I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer, and I've included a little bit of a passage before so that we understand the context of where the Lord's Prayer comes from. Um, Jesus, in Luke, we find Jesus comes into the house of um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their brother, and we see Martha is, um, they are all busy with, people are busy around Jesus because they're trying to serve and all that. Martha is busy trying to get the food sorted out, get the hospitality done, hospitality team. I mean, Martha is, um, Martha is our mama and she's making sure we've got food. She's making sure that we are fed. And that's, that's a great service. That's a great service. And she's worried, she's like, but why am I doing this on my own? Mary is seated like the queen next to Jesus. And what, you know, and it's, it's frustrating to her. And she eventually goes to Jesus and says, are you not worried that my sister is sitting here and doing nothing while I do all the work? And then Jesus answered gently and he says, Mother, Mother, you are worried about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part and it will not be taken away from her. It's sitting at Jesus' feet. It's spending time at his feet in prayer. And then it moves on um, that his disciples saw him pray and they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. But also on the other side in Matthew, we see Jesus talking to his disciples, saying to them, you don't need to have many words when you pray. You don't need to, you don't need to hype up words. You don't need to hype up God. He doesn't need a prep rally, you know, for him to, you know, get ready. Schools need that. The teams at schools need that. But God doesn't. And he says, you can use this format when you pray. And he goes on to say the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to start at the beginning. And at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is the word, our. Our Father. He says, our. And and this our means you, me, and us. It talks about togetherness. It talks about coming together. Our Father. Our Father, not my Father. In this Western world that we live in, we are very individualistic in our way of thinking. We think of things as me, mine, yours. 
And we're very, we, we don't have a shared ownership, a shared experience of that ownership of our Father. We think it's me, mine, and yours. And the problem with that is it produces isolation and loneliness. And we continue to live a life that in, in us we have chosen, let me say this, we have chosen to have a society rather than have a community. Let me qualify that. In a society, you can work around with so many people around you, but you know nothing about them. You don't care about them. You care about what you're doing with them, and then afterwards, it's done. But in a community, it's every piece is important. Every part of that person's life is part of your life too, and that's what we are called to do. Jesus, in his last prayer for us, he prayed that they may be one, and us being one involves being involved in each other's lives. Not working like the world system of just, it's a society, we will do what we do together at church and then afterwards, goodbye, I will not see you again. We are called to build a community, not a society. The church is a community. Amen? Amen. That uncommon unity, that's what he's talking about here. He says, our Father, it's that experience that is shared. And in that experience, he's calling us to corporate worship. He's calling us to come together and to worship together. We, we've spoken, Ryan spoke very well in the last two weeks, and he said that, you, you know, we, in the last three weeks, actually, because it's been three weeks, and he said, in the first sermon that he did, he spoke about the fact that we are called to come here on a Sunday. It's not the time of just worship, but it's a time of bringing what we've been doing in the week and bringing that fire here and then lighting that fire together. Each one of us brings their coals or their burning wood from where they are, and you bring this together and the fire lights up. It's because of what we've been doing in the week. It's because of our worship, our lifestyle of worship that has been happening in the week that we can come here and have a great time of corporate worship. So during the week, we are called to worship where we are. But on Sunday, we are called to bring back that fire. And, and in the book of Hebrews, we are told this in Hebrews 10, 25. He says, not forsaking the assembling um, of ourselves together, as in the is sorry, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much um, the more as you see the day approaching. He's speaking about that we should not stop, we should not forsake coming together, our coming together. It is important for us. You cannot live as a Christian in isolation. You can live for some time and then you do die. It's like a fire. If I've got a, um, a big log here that is lit, that is burning, if I don't put it with other logs and other sticks and make the fire last longer, it's going to die on its own. And that's what it's like for us. We are called to come together and be that community that fires up each other. And then he goes on and he says, Our Father... The word father speaks of love and security. The word father speaks of strength and caring. The word father speaks of God who is... And the word that he uses there is not just father, it's the word Abba. The word for affectionate, an affectionate word, an intimate word that would be used to call 
like, like what we do. My kids call me daddy. And he's saying here that we come and say, our daddy, our father. It's a word of intimacy, but it's got, it's got respect with it. And it's a word that brings that out, that God is calling us, and we are called in our life of worship to realize him as a father, to know him as, as somebody who, who, who oversees what we do, who is above what we do. All that we do, all that we are is made for him, through him, and for him. So he is the father of creation. He is the father of our faith. He is the father of us all. He is our father. And when you speak to somebody and they'll say, I'm going to my father's house, there's security there. There's provision there. And God is calling us to be that, to show that, that he is our father. And then he goes on and says, our Father who is in heaven. In heaven speaks of us looking at God in a different way. It speaks of developing a, a cosmetic perspective for our lives, that we are watching beyond what we see. We are seeing beyond it. It speaks of the transcendence of God, that he does not live in the normal. The God that we worship is not is not, is not held by our normal things that hold us. He's not held by space. He's not held by time. He's omnipotent. He's, he's, he's ever-present. He's, he, he's everlasting. That blows my mind. But that's the God that we worship. So when you realize how much God transcends our normal life, your only response that you come with is, what more can I do but to fall at his feet and worship? And I want to challenge you today that when we understand the, trans- the transcendence of God, in, when, we, when we understand who he is, our response will be nothing else but just to fall down and worship. And we are called in that prayer to worship because we worship a God who is above all. In Hebrews 12, the Bible says, Hebrews 12, I think it's verse 1 and 2 that I've put there. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the rest that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat at the, down at the right hand of, uh, of God, sorry, right hand of the throne of God. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of, the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and, the wicked, um, and, wickedness in, and wickedness in heavenly places. These two scriptures call us to look up. They don't call us to look down. They call us to look up to where God is. I don't know if you've heard... People usually say this, that, oh, so-and-so, he's always focused on things that are coming, the aluni. I'm going to talk about that later, but it's very interesting how Christians forget that we are called to have a perspective that is above. We are called to look above. Remember Elisha, 
and his servant. Kids Church, they learned that a few weeks ago. Elisha and his servant were surrounded. And when they were surrounded by, by the king, his and his soldiers everywhere. And, and, and his servant was terrified and says, my master, I've got, we've got a problem. And he prayed, said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when he saw that greater was the army of God that was with them than the army that they could see with our eyes. There are so many things that are happening in the spiritual realm that we don't see with our own eye. God is always at work protecting us. God is always at work walking with us. God is always at work bringing us closer to him. It's like God who is not seen wants to be seen by us. It's like God who is not understandable because of how big he is. He wants us to understand him. God who is so huge that we cannot contain him wants to come and live and dwell within us and with us. That's amazing. That's what God is calling us to. And when we see this, he says, our Father in heaven, you are there in heaven, but you're not just seated there in heaven. Because you're not counted by space, you're not held by space, you are both in heaven and here and there and there with me at the same time. The same God is here at this time. The same God is in South Africa at this time. The same God is in Europe this time. The same God is in Australia this time. The same God is in Asia at this time. He is not held by space or time. So see beyond. See beyond what you see now. He's calling us to see beyond, to see his, how big and how great he is. He wants us to experience him personally. And he's calling us to that place. In worship, we experience him. Ryan once said this in one of his sermons that we, we want to look at worship as a way of knowing him and getting known by him. He is too vast for us to know him fully, but each day he shows us a new face, a new facet of him. His mercies and his glories are new every morning. We see something new every day. You might read a scripture 20 times or 100 times, but each day when you read it, God has got something new for you on it. Because he's vast. But he wants us to have that, that relationship. But we need to be sure as well that our, our familiarity with Abba, with Daddy, does not cause us to reduce his sovereignty, sovereignty to reduce his kingship to nothing. It does not reduce him to our body. I know this is stepping on some people's toes. He's our friend, but he's our father. He's sovereign too, and he's God, and he's holy. And sometimes we, we get too familiar, and we think it's fine, you know. We, we, we treat him like we would treat our body. He's not. That's a sermon for another day, but he's not. He's our Abba Father, but also he is God. He's above. That's why he's our Father who is in heaven. It shows the coming together. He's our Abba who is in this place that, that we cannot really reach with our own minds, that is higher and greater than us, but we can put those two together, our Father, our Daddy who is in heaven. You've heard some people say, you are too heavenly minded that you are earthly useless. 
I've had people say that, and I've had people say that to me before. And usually I come back to this part of scripture, our Father who is in heaven. And I go back to Colossians 3 that we read last week. That tells us that we need to set our hearts and minds on things above. We are called to live and set our hearts and our minds on things that are above. C.S. Lewis said something about heaven. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. And aim at earth, you'll get neither. Let our aim be heaven. Let our perspective be heaven. When we speak, when Jesus speaks, a lot of Jesus' teaching, it's earthly things that contain a heavenly meaning in it. All his parables. Think about it. There is none of them that does not have a picture of, of further than what we see here. He doesn't waste time with what we see here. It doesn't mean that we, need, we don't need to work about what we see here. We do. But that's not our focus. Our focus is far beyond that. It is above that. And that's what we are called to do. As we worship, we walk towards that. Let me not spend too much time here. I love this topic. Hallowed be your name. When I was, at ki- when I was a kid's church pastor back home, one kid was like, so God's other name is Harold. <laughs> like, yeah. Our father, Harold, is your name. <laughs> Like, no, it's hallowed be your name. It's not Herald is your name. So God's name is not Herald. But thinking about it, hallowed be your name speaks of us pressing towards holiness. We are called to press on towards holiness. Hallowed is something that is different. It's something that is opposite of common. We are not called to be just common people. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We don't, we don't just live like everybody else. Our lives are different. And I know that's part of, some part of, um, of the gospel that steps on people's toes. We are called to come back to holiness. But the word tells us that without it, we will not see God. And we say his name is, is Hallow is, is his name. And it tells us that we, we, we worship, we, we come in pursuit of holiness. When we, when we come to him, we're in pursuit of that, of being like him. Ryan said last week that whatever you worship, you end up becoming like it. And the more we draw closer to him, the more his radiance shines in us. When Moses was in the mountain, it doesn't mean that Moses did not have sin. Oh yeah. Ramor had sins. And he went to the mountain to meet the Lord. And when he got there, the Bible tells us that when he came back, his face was shining such that Israel was like, put a veil on your face because we can't even look at you. The more we spend time with him, the more we become like him. And I want to challenge you, what is your mountain time where you spend time with God? like Moses. Spend time with this hallowed God. That's this n- not common God. Ha, 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 what is that time for you that you spend with him? And in that time when you spend it with him in prayer or in reading his word, the more you become like him. 
The more each day he changes you. The more, the Bible says that he has called us to become more like his son. The likeness of his son is being formed in us. us. The more we stay with him, the more we spend time with him, the likeness of his son is being formed in us and it's brought out. That beauty of his son is brought in us by us spending time with him and realizing that his name is holy. He is calling us to holiness. Christian spirituality that neglects the pursuit of holiness has failed. If we are Christians and we do not pursue holiness, we have failed entirely. And I can easily say that because Hebrews tells us something like that. He says, pursue, in Hebrews 12, 14, he says, pursue peace with all people, that unity. But also it says, and holiness, with, with which, sorry, without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't pursue holiness, we're failed because we will not see the Lord. It's that unity with one another and that holiness. The writer pairs those two and says, without these two, we will not see the Lord. So I encourage you, Broadway, let's pursue holiness. Then he moves on and says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come speaks of overturning our kingdoms. We build a lot of kingdoms for ourselves. So I don't know if you see the progression in this prayer, that each line has got something that challenges us, that changes, that makes us see it in a different light. When we say to God, your kingdom come, we are surrendering our kingdoms that we are building for ourselves. I don't know those who were there here on Easter, on Easter Sunday, I did a, a, an, an illustration for kids here of building on the sand and building on a rock. And we sang the song together. I hope some of you remember that. And when we build our own kingdoms, we're like that man who builds on sand. When we build, when we say, let your kingdom come and mean it, we're like that man who's building on a rock. The foundation is firm. But our own kingdoms, the foundation is shaky. And he's calling us that in worship, as we spend time in worship and calling his kingdom to come, we are building on this firm foundation. Where are you building? Are you following your own pursuits? Your own kingdom? Our personal ambitions? Ambitions are not, it's not bad to have an ambition, but our ambition has to be in line with God's word. And so many times we are called to come to a place where our ambitions, our personal ambitions are killed in favor of his ambition for us. Let me give you a few examples. Galatians 2.20, my favorite scripture, my life verse. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified. It's not me anymore. It's not my ambition anymore. I might have ambitions. But I'm crucified with Christ to put that away. Philippians 2.3 says, let, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowness of mind, um, let each esteem others better than himself. That's as well putting away our ambitions. Let your kingdom come. 
Let my kingdom be destroyed and yours come. That's what we say when we pray that. And then Paul goes on and speaks about, in Ephesians chapter 3, 3 verse 7 to 9, he speaks about these people that have said, that have given all these credentials to themselves. He says the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out into, into the trash, along with everything else that I used to credit for. But why? Because of Christ. Yes, all these things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my master firsthand. Everything that I, I once thought I had got for, uh, for me is insignificant. Dog down. I have dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and embrace and be embraced by him. I didn't want some, uh, some uh, pity inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping the rules. When I could, when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting God in, through Christ and in God's righteousness. And he's speaking about it. He says, all those things that I once counted were great, that were part of my ambition, that were part of my who I am, part of my kingdom. I count them as dumb, dog dumb. Dog poop in our contemporary world. That's what he's calling it. All these things that I have gathered, all these ambitions, all these buildings, all these kingdoms that I've built for myself. Lord, help me as I speak here that all these kingdoms that I've built for myself, that they may be like dog poop in favor of knowing you. And I'm asking us Broadway today, what are some of these things that we have built for ourselves? that we need to relook at and count as done for us to come into true worship. Is it my business? Is it my education? Is it my finances? Is it my credentials? What is it that I've built for myself? That I've trusted on? And some of them are not bad things. Is it, is it my, my um, um, Tuesday morning five-hour prayer with the Lord sitting at that chair watching that tree? That's my spot. If I'm not in that spot, it doesn't happen. Those are good things, but... They should not be kingdoms that we're building. They should not be things that we are trusting on. What are some of those things that we are trusting on that we need to tear down? Tear down these walls. Look beyond. There is something else that God has for us. When we pray your kingdom come, we force ourselves to loosen the grip that we have on our kingdoms, on our ambitions on our prideful behaviors, on our competitive spirits, on our needs for personal achievement, we release that grip when we say, let your kingdom come. Then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Willfulness is demanding that our will be done, which reflects that we are fallen. My way or the highway. 
I don't care what God thinks, my way or the highway. And we don't say it that way, but we say it in a very, the Lord understands that I need to do this too. The Lord understands that I need to have this for me too. And as Christians, we've got words to cover it, but what we're saying is that my way or the highway, choose one God and take a hike. That's what we are saying, but we say it in a very nice way that doesn't, we think it won't offend God. But it's just us making ourselves feel better. And my prayer for us here at Broadway is that we want what he wants for us. And we receive what he has for us. When those two are put together, then his will is done here on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. When we let him be the lead, is he our passion and ambition? Is he my passion and my ambition? Am I receiving what he has for me? Am I wanting what he wants for me? Then he moves on and says, give us this day our daily bread. This is speaking on dependence. We, we are so much used to being independent and we do things in our own strength and we do things for our own, we provide for ourselves. If some of you would ask, um, so in your home, who's the provider? It's either mom or it's dad. Uh, who's the provider? It's either the man or it's the woman or it's both of them. But no. I always say to couples, when I used to counsel couples when I was back home. One of my jobs was doing premarital counseling. And I would say to couples, listen to me, when it comes to provision, none of you is a provider. God is a provider. And he will use one of you as a, as, as a channel for that provision. God is our provider. It's not the man's job to provide. It's not the woman's job to provide. It's not the man and the woman's job to provide. It is the man and the woman's job to rely on God's provision to flow through one of them or both of them. Such that then we realize that not my money or your money or whatever, it's ours because it's been coming from God through us to us. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. We realize that we learn to be dependent on God. None of our worship and prayer makes any sense when we live a life of self-sufficiency. Prayer says I depend on God. When you pray, you're saying I'm depending on you, Lord. So if we are self-sufficient, that prayer becomes useless. Our worship is saying, I worship you because you are higher than everything else. You are bigger than everything else. And I can trust you and rely on you. When we are self-sufficient, then that means nothing. It's just words we are saying. God is calling us to learn to depend on him. Fully depend on him. Forgive me, Lord, where I have not depended on you. So many times I have not. Forgive me, Lord. That's me. I don't know about you, but that's me. And I've walked in self, in being very self-dependent. And forgive me, Lord. It might be just me in this church, but I have to confess it. And God is calling us to come and learn a life of dependence. It's not easy, it's hard. Because we are not used to it. But he says, I'm there with you. 
I will walk with you. I will be with you. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, um, as we have forgiven our debtors. This is speaking of the, of the nurturing culture of grace. We are called to forgive and have that nurturing culture of grace in our church. Grace does not mean do whatever you want. It does not. And sometimes it has been defined that way. But it's not. And it's a sermon for another day. But I just want you to think about it. And we are called to nurture that culture of grace for one another in our walk. When we worship God, he is gracious with us. So we learn to be like him and reflect that grace to some other people, extend that grace to some other people. If you think about it, in Matthew chapter 18, we hear the story of, um, of a servant, an ungrateful servant. That's what Jesus calls him. He comes to the master and he begs for mercy. Have mercy on me, master. I can't pay the debt. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And the master says, okay, I'll have mercy on you. Uh, go. I won't take anything from you. Go. Your debt is canceled. He goes around happily and merrily. Then until he, go, he comes to his, uh, meets up his, uh, somebody else who's a servant like him. For example, I've come and I've gotten this, um, this cancellation of my debt, of my huge debt, of millions of dollars, and I come up and I meet Mama N, and I, Mama N owes me 10 bucks. And I'm like, oh yeah, there I found you, N Graham. You have been hiding with my 10 bucks. I want it now, and N says, I don't have it today. I don't have 10 bucks. I will try and make sure I get it together and give it to you. Please have mercy. I'm like, no, no mercy for you, N. I'm going to take Rona and her children and everybody else, and I'll put them in jail because you owe me my 10 bucks until you pay it. Imagine. And I've just been forgiven, forgiven millions. And that's what we do. How dare we beg for God's grace when we cannot extend it to somebody else? How dare we? And we do that every day. We beg for his mercy. We beg for his grace. And we are not willing to extend it to somebody else. And he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's a continuous thing. Forgiveness releases you. Forgiveness is for you, not for the person that you're forgiving. Then he moves on and says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This speaks of growing in faith and obedience, and it involves testing and trials. That's a hard part, but it's a good part. In that, in that part, we are stretched. In that part, we are tempted to be to circle for society. In that part, we are tempted to be self-sufficient. In that part, we are tempted to walk alone. I don't need them. They're not very nice anyway. They don't, they don't shake my hand after church. They're not nice anyway. I don't need them. Or, or something like that. I mean, I'm using silly examples here, but it's things like that. Small little things. Small little things. The, the little fox eat up the vine. Small little things. And, 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 we, and we, we are tempted to just let go and, have, and not care about what happens. And those times are times of growing. 
when we resist that, we grow. And then we are afraid as well to face trials. I'm afraid to face trials. I've faced so many trials this year. My family, we've faced so much trial this year, this, this past year and a half. And I'm still afraid to face trials. It's normal to be afraid to face them. But when you are walking in them, he walks with you. That's where you see him walking with you. I've walked, I've walked in trials so much that this past week, I thought, yeah, something just happened to me. I, because of stress and all these things that I'm going through, I just developed hives all over my body. And I was like, what's this? I've never had that in my life. What is this? And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to preach on Sunday because I had hives on my face too. I'm like, I'm going to look terrible. I'm going to be scratching every time and people will be looking at me and laughing. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be able to do this. I almost told Ryan, please do the preaching this Sunday. But I say, you know what? This might be a place where God is stretching me. It's my trial. And when I walk through it, I don't walk through it alone. He walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And in those moments, the grace that we share in those moments, the love that we share in those moments, the writer says, none other I have found. And I want to encourage you, in those times where trials are coming, his grace is sufficient. His messes are new every morning. He walks with us. James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it nothing but pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let the endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. Hard times, they stretch us, but they grow us. They produce this endurance that produces spiritual maturity. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given, who has given to us. In our time of trouble, he's there. In our time of temptation to walk away, I want to encourage you today, don't walk away. It's normal to have that time where you think, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to throw in the towel and walk away. If you're a young Christian and you've not come to that yet, don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> where you feel, you know what, I'm going to walk away. I'm done. I'm tired. I've... I've walked through this. And your heart feels, I, I can't do this anymore. But I want to tell you one thing. Hold on there. Something is being produced. Hold on there. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to what he's got for you. In our hymnals, there's a song that I love that came to my heart when I was, when I was writing this part. Same, um, hymn number 318. And there's a verse there, the last verse. 
It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to thee. Let thy goodness, like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy calls above. When it gets hard and you want to walk away, say, here's my heart, Lord, seal it. Seal it for your courts. Seal it for the heavenly perspective of things. And then he comes towards the end of this and he says, yours is the kingdom. Can I ask the band to come forward? He says, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. This means us abandoning our pursuits of control and fame. The kingdom is his. The power is his. The glory is his. It's not ours. Not to me but to your name be the glory. That's what we say when we say that. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. We are pursuing a power and a glory. that pro- When we pursue our own power and glory, it produces in us discontent. It produces in us conflict because we are not called to that. It's his power, it's his glory. Not unto us, but be to your name all the glory. And then he ends by a simple word, amen. And amen says to us, let us live with a yes. He says, see, I stand at the door and I knock. And whosoever would open, I would come in. He is my voice and open, I would come in. And I would dine with him. And he with me. He is knocking at the door of a believer and at the door of an unbeliever. I know it sounds weird, but he's knocking. We have closed him out with our ambitions, with the things that we do, with disregard for who he is. We have closed him out. We have given him a corner. Most, some of us Christians, we've let him in the door, but we've given him a corner. This is your corner, Jesus. Stay here. You don't need to come in here. This is mine. I have done that in my life. And he's saying, I want in. I want it all. And for some of us who are here today, we have never made a commitment to Jesus to open the door for the first time when he knocks at the door of your heart. And today he might be knocking at the door of your heart. That 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 feeling of uneasiness that you're feeling as you listen to this and you feel being pushed to do something, it is him knocking at the door and saying, I'm here. I want to come in. I'm not going to push the door down. Open your heart. Let us have conversation together. He, he says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. There's a yoke to take. But he says, take my yoke upon you, for it is Light and easy. My, his burden is easy. His burden is light. And he's saying, come. He says, though your sins are as red as a scarlet, come. Let's talk about this. Let's reason together. And I shall make them white as snow.
Today, if you're sitting here and you have never said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. I realize that I'm a sinner and without you, I cannot do it and I need you. I need to have this relationship with you. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you were brought to life again for my redemption. And I, I want to accept you to be the Lord of my life, to, to walk with me. I want to walk with you. I have never walked with you. If today this is you, I want to encourage you that as we sing the next song, come the side and kneel the side of the altar and somebody will come and pray with you. They would love to lead you to this knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus. It's amazing. We walk through the hard times and we walk through them. He's there with us. And sometimes he's not just there with us. He's carrying us through it. You don't need to walk alone. And for believers that are here, he's knocking at the door in those places that we have closed him out. He's knocking on those doors. Could it be some addiction that I'm hiding? Could it be some lie that I've believed? He's knocking at that door and saying, come on. Let's clean the house together. Let's clean this temple together. Let's work together. And he's calling us. And if that's you as well, you're welcome to come either this side or that side of the altar if you need somebody to pray for you. If you want to pray for you just by yourself, come this side. If you want somebody to pray with you, come this side. There's no time to be embarrassed about coming to the altar. (laughs) There's no time for that. Brothers and sisters, we don't have time for that. Redeem the time for the days are evil. There is no time. Don't worry about what your neighbor thinks or what he says. The person sitting next to you in front of you or what your position is in the church. That doesn't matter. Make make your own decision. And he's calling us to that decision. He's calling us as a church to be hungry for him, to be thirsty for him. Let us live with an amen. Amen is an open heart. Amen is a yes. Even if it costs me, yes. Even if it costs my ambition, what I'm known for, yes.